We began this year by looking at 52 texts which help to frame the story of Jesus. We've called this series simply His Story. But the subtitle is, This is My Story. This is Your Story. This morning we come to a passage found in the book of 2 Chronicles. And if you're like me, you probably haven't spent a lot of time in the Old Testament books of 1 and 2 Chronicles. But probably the best known verse in 1 and 2 Chronicles is 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. Here God says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What an incredible passage, so pertinent to the time and days that we're living in. You know, the books of First and Second Chronicles, there, there's two of them in our Old Testament. In the Hebrew Bible, it was simply one book. And uh, when it was translated into Greek, they separated it into two. But the book of Chronicles is what we call a post-exilic book, written after the time of the Babylonian exile. In fact, it is the last book in the Hebrew Bible. You know, the last book in our English Bibles is the book of Malachi. And Malachi is probably the last of the prophets who did speak to Israel. But the writer of First and Second Chronicles may have well been the last author of a book of the Old Testament. And that's why in the Hebrew Bible it is the last book in that particular uh, order. Now, what's interesting about the book, uh, first, or the books of First and Second Chronicles is that they were written near the end of kind of the biblical record. We're going to go into 400 years of silence after First and Second Chronicles to the book of Matthew. But it was written to tell the history of Israel. And it literally begins with Adam in First Chronicles chapter 1 and then takes you all the way through to the end of of the exile. There's the story of Israel's ups and downs. And this particular text that we're looking at today summarizes it beautifully. This text out of 2 Chronicles chapter 7 comes at a very important time. It's telling the story of Solomon, and in particular, Solomon building the temple. As Solomon completes the temple, he prays to God in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And then he offers sacrifices as depicted in this picture in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Well, when you look at the response of, of Solomon and the Israelites to God, it's amazing. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, much like it did after Moses had built the tabernacle. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And I love how this text ends. And they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, he is good. His love endures forever. Solomon would respond to this incredible phenomenon 
by offering 22,000 head of cattle in sacrifice to God. And then in addition to that, 120,000 sheep and goats. And you can imagine just the incredible worship service they were experiencing. And it was the result of this act and Solomon's prayer that God responded to him. It says in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 12, the Lord appeared to him at night. We don't know if God appeared to him in a dream, if, if he appeared uh, to him through an angel. We're simply not told. But here's what God said to Solomon. I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. And then we have a very peculiar verse. Notice what God goes on to say. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. Now you read that verse and you think, that's a strange response by God to this incredible act of worship and dedication of the temple to him. But what you have to realize is that God is responding to Solomon's prayer. You see, when Solomon dedicated the temple in 2 Chronicles 6, he, had, he led a long prayer for the people. And in that prayer, he acknowledged the weaknesses of the Israelite people. Notice some of the things you find in the prayer. This is 2 Chronicles 6, 26. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. Now again, remember, this is Solomon's prayer. He goes on in verse 28, when famine or plague come to the land or uh, blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, or when enemies besiege them in any of their cities, when whatever disaster or disease may come. In other words, he once again acknowledges that Israel is going to suffer because of her rebellion. In fact, notice what he says in verse 36, when they sin against you, and then he acknowledges it. For there is no one who does not sin. Sounds like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 when he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He goes on and he says, You become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to a land far away. Now that last phrase is very important because of when Second Chronicles is being written. You know, one of the things that you find in the Old Testament is God's realization that the Israelite people would be a rebellious people. This is Deuteronomy 31, 16. It's where God is basically saying to Moses, you're fixing to die and be gathered to your people. And notice what God says about the Israelites. You are going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they're entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. You know, that's an interesting insight into human nature. I mean, God had brought Israel out of Egypt, and it wasn't long before some of the Israelites were trying to go back into Egypt. Now they're fixing to go into the promised land under Joshua, and it'll be a generation that'll be incredibly victorious. But the next generation would begin to forsake the Lord. And God saw that coming. 
In fact, that would be the history of Israel throughout their entire existence. And so the reason this text is so important is that it comes after a very difficult time where God, in fact, fulfilled what Solomon had predicted. God sent them into exile. It's called the Babylonian captivity. And, and it occurred in three stages for ancient Judah, the southern kingdom. The first stage occurred in 607 B.C. And you may remember names like Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They were Jews who were carried off in 607 by Nebuchadnezzar. Ten years later, in 597, he would come back, once again attack Jerusalem, and take more of the Jews away. And then finally, in 587, 20 years later, he would return, and this time Nebuchadnezzar would totally destroy the city, tear down the walls, and worst of all, destroy the temple that Solomon had built. Jeremiah had predicted that 70 years would pass before Israel or Judah would be allowed back into the land. And sure enough, in 537 B.C., Cyrus the Great, who was a Medo-Persian, had defeated the Babylonians. And one of the first things he did was issue a decree to allow the Jews to return to Judah. And most of all, not only return to Judah, but to, be, to rebuild the temple of their God. And that's what this particular text is looking forward to. You see, when the Jews returned to, uh, to Jerusalem, there were a lot of questions they were asking. For instance, they were basically wondering, will God take us back as his people? I mean, we've been in rebellion just over and over. Will he take us back? Will he dwell among his people in this new temple we're building? That was the big question. You know, the Ark of the Covenant was gone and was never replaced. And of course, this sign of God's presence caused them to ask the question, will God still dwell among us? And then finally, will God keep his promise to David? God had made a promise that God would place one on David's throne who would rule forever. And of course, the question now is, Will God now fulfill that promise he made to David at this point in time, almost 500 years earlier? And so as we look at this text, I want you to notice what God responded to basically Solomon's prayer with. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, and I will hear, heal their land. Notice the promises that God's making to ancient Israel. Now, one of the questions that a lot of people are asking right now has to do with this very same subject. Has God brought on the nations this worldwide pandemic, COVID-19? Is God somehow punishing the world right now? And it's a message like 2 Chronicles 7.14, one that the world needs to hear. I want to first of all caution us in, into you know, jumping to conclusions too quickly. In the book of Isaiah, written several hundreds of years before uh, 2 Chronicles was, 
you have a similar message to what uh, God says to Solomon there in that prayer. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God and he'll freely pardon them. But here's the thing you have to remember. Isaiah goes on to say, but be careful in trying to figure out what God is doing. The very next two verses says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Many years ago, I had the privilege of sitting at the feet of Dr. Jack P. Lewis. Brother Lewis was a professor at Harding School of Theology in Memphis. And the question of what God was doing in the world would oftentimes come up. And, and Dr. Lewis was always quick to warn us. He would say, listen, don't try to figure out what God is doing. Because it's simply beyond our ability to figure it out. He says, now you look back through history, and yes, you can see what God was doing. You have an example of that in Genesis chapter 50, of where Joseph is looking back late in his life. And, and as he's looking back, he sees the hand of God. His brothers, Jacob has died, and his brothers are afraid that Joseph is going to take somehow vengeance on them because they had sold him as a slave into Egypt. But Joseph's response was, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In other words, looking back, Joseph could see the hand of God. I don't know that he could when his brothers threw him into that pit or when they sold him as a slave to the Ishmaelites. I doubt seriously that Joseph was saying, well, this is the plan of God. I've got it all figured out when Potiphar's wife began to make advances toward him or when he was thrown into an Egyptian jail. And when the, when the uh, 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 servants of Pharaoh forgot who he was after he had interpreted their dreams, I again doubt that Joseph was saying, part of the plan of God. You see, it was only as he was able to look back through history and see God's hand that he was able to see it more clearly. And I suspect that's the case with us now. I don't know what God is doing in the world but I do know that he's still reconciling the world to himself through the good news of Jesus Christ. I know that for sure. Do I believe that God is going to work through this? Yes. How is he going to work through it? I don't know that. God has not given me a crystal ball and he's not given me insight into his plans. And so I think we need to be very careful before we begin to say, well, this is exactly what God is doing in the world. But there is a message in this text for us today. I want you to notice how it begins. If my people who are called by my name. Here is God speaking to the nation of Israel. These were people he had chosen. He had chosen them through Abraham and his promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so these were people of the covenant that he had made with them at Mount Sinai. You know, the message that he gave to Judah so long ago is a very similar message to what 
we need to hear. You know, we're the people of God. We too have been called by his name. In fact, we wear the name of Christian, a name that reflects the fact that we follow the Messiah, the Christ that God has sent in order to save us. You know, Jesus warned that a lot of Christians would struggle with their faith. This is a passage out of Matthew chapter 24, and Jesus is simply looking about uh, 40 years into the future after he would be uh, crucified and raised from the dead. And he's looking at a time when, when uh, Judea would rebel against the Roman Empire and Rome would send her legions against her. It was what we call the Jewish War of A.D. 66 to 70. And notice what Jesus said about some of the Jewish Christians. At that time, many will turn from the faith. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. You know, this challenge of walking faithful to God is just that. It's a challenge. Paul in Romans chapter 12 would challenge Christians by saying, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Literally in the Greek in there, keep that spirit alive. Keep it on fire as you serve the Lord. I don't know about you. But my life has not always been one of spiritual fervor. Instead of kind of being a steady, you know, climb upwards toward God, my journey has been one of ups and downs, ups and downs. Hopefully always moving in a positive direction, but sometimes suffering some very severe downs of times when the fly flame didn't burn very bright at all. And so we ask a question. How do I rekindle that spiritual fire? Perhaps right now you're struggling. I've got to be honest with you. There are days when I'm depressed. I'm a people person. And while June is a people, you know, just the two of us at, at, at home uh, doesn't supply all the needs that I have. I like being around people. I like shaking hands. I like hugging necks. And it's been a tough time. It's been tough for me in June in regards to our children and our grandchildren. I've got a grandson who was born almost a year ago, and I've only seen him two or three times. And, and, and a few weeks ago, I said to my son who lives in Ohio, you know, Mom and my, I may uh, take off a, a week uh, in and, and run up there and, and see y'all and, and visit with the grandbabies. And my son said, Dad, you can't. He said, where I work, I'm on basically strict orders that if I come in contact with anybody from out of state or if anybody visits from out of state, I can't go to work. And so, yes, June and I have struggled some spiritually during this pandemic, as I guess many of you have. And so how do we keep that spiritual fire burning? I like the old gospel hymn, Revive Us Again. The fourth verse of that song says, Revive us again, fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. You know, you may know someone who's struggling with their faith. Someone who perhaps was raised as a Christian, but have turned their back on God. They maybe don't even admit to believing in God anymore. There's a message in this text. It's a message that I hope people will listen to. So let's go back and look at 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. As a long time ago, God answered the question, 
How do I keep that spiritual fire going? He begins with a very simple statement. If my people who are called by name will humble themselves. You may recall a couple of weeks ago in our memory verse from Micah. Micah said, you know, what is it that the Lord requires of us? And the last of them was to walk humbly with our God. Humility is so important. Proverbs 22 describes it this way. Humility is the fear of the Lord. I mean, if you want a definition of what it is, there it is as simply as can be. What is humility? It is this incredible respect of who God is. And Solomon would go on to say it's wages or riches and honor and life. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but uh, this whole concept of humility just kind of pervades the story of the Bible. Going back to 2 Chronicles chapter 30, you have a story about the uh, great revival during the time of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had had brought about this incredible uh, re revival to God, uh, especially in worship, and among those was Passover. And so he was going to celebrate Passover like it had never been celebrated before, and, and he sent couriers up to the north up to Israel, a country that had uh, left the Lord 200 years earlier. And he sent couriers to the lands of uh, tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. But the text says that the people scorned and ridiculed them. They had no interest in going back to Jerusalem. But then in verse 11, something amazing is said. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. You see a response to this invitation. They were willing to humble themselves and say, you know what, it's time to go back to Jerusalem. Jesus himself, in a statement that I think sometimes just kind of we read over it without really looking at it closely. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then notice how he describes himself. For I am gentle, and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Humble in heart. You know, when I read the Gospels, I see a man who is very confident in who he is. He's the Son of God. He's the one who can heal the sick, who can even raise the dead, who rides into Jerusalem on a donkey being praised as the Son of David. And yet Jesus would say, the reason all of that happened is because I'm a person who is humble in heart. I like the way Paul puts it in Romans chapter 12. This old Mississippi boy here needs to hear it real plain. And here's what Paul said. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. See, walking with God begins with a spirit of humility. So does revival of the soul. He then says, and pray. You know, prayer is, is so very important. Prayer simply is talking to God. I don't know about your prayer life, but prayer life is so important if we're going to have a passionate relationship with Him. I know during this time of separation with my family, we spent a lot of time talking on the telephone. And I don't know of a better way of illustrating our relationship with God because it's the same way we speak to Him through prayer. Back to the story in 2 Chronicles 30. 
These people came down from the north in order to, to worship God and to celebrate Passover. But the text says that they had not had time to purify themselves. Yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. Well, you think now they're in trouble. I mean, even though they went down to do, you know, to practice Passover, they should have made sure they were purified first. But notice what the text goes on to say. But Hezekiah prayed for them. May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the text goes on to say that God heard Hezekiah and he healed the people. Prayer, I like the way Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. This is out of the Passion Translation where he puts it as simple as I know how. Make your life, make your life a prayer. The old King James Version, pray without ceasing. Make your life a life prayer. And then God says, and those who seek my face. That concept of seeking God is so very, very important. God wants us to be in relationship with him. And he wants us because we were created by him to seek him. 2 Chronicles 14.4, King Asa led a, a revival during his reign. And notice the very simple command he gives. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord. And what does it mean to seek God? Well, to put it real simple, it means to obey his laws and commands. It means to ask what it is that he requires of us, and then to diligently, earnestly do that. I like what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews eleven six. Without in faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists. But then notice, and that He rewards those who earnestly, passionately seek Him. Can I ask a question? How much are you seeking God? You know, we've got a lot of time on our hands right now. Times to reflect. Times to examine, times to seek. And I pray that you're seeking God during this time, drawing closer to him. And then finally, he says, and turn from their wicked ways. Put as simply as I know how to put it. It simply means to repent, to stop living the way you used to live and, and begin to live for him. You know, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus, when he began preaching, began with a very simple word, repent, which means turn from your sinful ways. And he goes on to say, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You know, being focused on what's important to God is so, I think, vital during this difficult time. I don't know about you, but I get tired of watching the news. It just seems to be bad story after bad story and bad news after bad news. I like what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, as he's instructing them how to become more Christ-like. He says, finally, brothers, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. And then he sums it up this way. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, set your mind on those things. Think about those things. That's what it means to turn from our evil ways. The word repent is a Greek word, metanonia. And it literally means to change the way you think. And that's what following Jesus is all about. Changing our thoughts so that they are his thoughts and our ways so that they are his ways. Solomon got an incredible promise in response to his prayer to God. That promise is as available to us today as it was way back then. I pray that we will be a people who will humble ourselves, who will pray, who will seek God's face and turn from our sinful ways so that we can place him with our entire being. And you know what? If you need revival, please, please take this chance to seek God. Give me a call. Give anybody on staff, one of our elders, a call. If you need prayers, we'll pray for you. And if you're not a child of God, if you've never been baptized into the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, please call me. We'll be glad to respond to your request. Thank you again for being here today. And may God bless you this week.